Welcome back to the program. A couple of key pieces of information that I need to impart to you right away. And that is, first up, that the province of Ontario has announced that it is expanding uh, the people, the number of people who can get the AstraZeneca uh, to 55 plus. Now, here's what you need to do. We have, we have a lot more AstraZeneca arriving in Ontario. Uh, and that means that you will be able to 55 plus you'll be able to actually book yourself an appointment uh, at a local pharmacy. What you need to do is go to the Ontario uh, COVID portal. Just go to covid-19.ontario.ca or just use the Google machine if, you know, if that's too much for you. Just put that in there. And what it'll do is it'll take you to a portal that then has information about which local pharmacies, pharmacies in your area, it's broken down by area, and you can go right on there and you can find yourself a place to get vaccinated. And I, I shared that information with family this morning, immediately as soon as it came out from the Ontario government. And I'm happy to say that several family members have booked today, actually got appointments this morning because of it. I'm also thrilled to tell you that in about an hour's time, my dad, my dad is getting his shot. I couldn't be more excited about that. My dad turns 80 tomorrow. He's getting his shot tomorrow. My mom's getting her shot on Monday. So excited about that. That is great, great news. We're getting more vaccines, folks. The most important thing is, you got, you got to go get the shot. You got to go get the shot. All right. I promised an update on schools and what we're what we heard from the modeling on schools. There's a lot of back and forth on schools right now going on in the province of Ontario. Will schools return after the April break? April 12th is the the new March break. Uh, that is where they moved it to. Uh, and there's been a lot of back and forth about you know. First of all, will kids be in school next week? It appears they will be. Then, then the break is going to happen. And now what the Minister of Education has been saying, as loudly as he can, is that the plan is that, yes, kids indeed will return to school after the break. Stephen Lecce tweeting out this morning, schools will remain open, critical for students' mental health and learning. The Chief Medical Officer of Health has said schools remain safe. Okay, you got that? That's the Minister of Education quoting the Chief Medical Officer of Health. Now listen to this. Listen to this. Here is Dr. Steiny Brown at the modeling information this morning asked about transmission in school. And here, ladies and gentlemen, is the truth. So schools really reflect the level of infection in the community. Um, and this is, I think, important to kind of recognize that if infection takes off in the community, the schools uh, amplify this. This is a very, very, very hard trade-off. Uh, we know that uh, if schools stay open, uh, we will see more infection, but we also know that the impact uh, on, uh, uh, on children of these interruptions in schooling uh, is really hard and uh, damaging. So it's a challenging trade-off. What I think I'd probably say overall, and something we said regularly is, the more decisive you are uh, Early on, the more that you work to get the infection under control, the more that everything uh, moves along quickly. Uh, but I would say if there is room for choices, schools would be the last things that uh, I would at least personally uh, recommend closing. And I'd be the first ones to, uh, it'd be the first things to open up again. 
is Dr. Stoney Brown this morning at the Modeling Information. So much to unpack in what you just heard there. Let's begin with what it began with, which is schools reflect the greater spread in the community. So even though Stephen Lecce is saying, oh, yeah, school's going to come back, what you heard there was <laughs> some shading saying that if the spread in the community goes fast and far enough that we may not have a choice. We may not have a choice. And then what did you hear in the middle of that? If we act quickly and decisively, things move along better. That, to me, ladies and gentlemen, is an absolute condemnation of the health response in the last month. It has been six weeks since Dr. Stoney Brown warned the province of the disaster that was coming, and nothing has been done. And in fact, the precise opposite in some cases. I want to get to my next guest right now, and that is the president of the Ontario Medical Association, who has a new report out about who in our community is spreading disinformation about COVID-19. But Dr. Samantha Hill's on the line. I want to begin with your just your reaction to what you just heard there, what, I, what I've just said, and, and your reaction to what the province is about to announce today. Thank you so much for having me on the air. So my initial reaction is that we are all extremely frustrated to be even considering entering another lockdown. It has been a really challenging year for everyone. And the numbers that we're seeing in the ICU, the numbers that we saw in the uh, case counts, they are very clear that we have entered the third wave. There is no more discussion about whether or not this is the third wave and that this third wave is shaping up to be severe. We know that the third wave in the UK was worse than either of the first two waves. And the hope for the Ontario Medical Association is that we can make decisions proactively that save us from living through the same experience that the UK did, namely higher mortality, higher case counts than in the first two waves. Six weeks ago, we were warned about this. Have we been proactive? So it's been several weeks now that the OMA has been cautioning. We have been saying things like we're worried about the numbers and we're worried about the variants. We indeed cautioned against some of the decisions that were made, but many of the cautions that we made were also taken to heed. The I'm not going to speak for the government, but I will say that there are a lot of competing influences, obviously, and they are trying, I'm certain, to juggle all of the information coming at them, and I don't think anyone's had an easy job over the last year. I 100%, Dr. Hill, agree with you 100%. I don't mean to say that it's been easy. These are difficult things. I think the frustration for a lot of people is that we've, especially for those of us who report the news and try and interpret this data, is that we've seen this coming for some time, and it seems like we could have been making this announcement a week ago or even two weeks ago? For sure, we could have, but we also could have had um, a couple of shipments of vaccines come in that were stopped. We could have had more successful rollout of the vaccines to the population, which, of course, required more supply, and that might have put us in a very different place. For a while, we were in a race. It was vaccines versus variants. We know now that the variants have, for the moment, at least won this leg of the race. And now we're going back into lockdown to try and slow us back down, I would imagine, um, and give us a chance to catch up a little bit with the vaccines. We know that to have a significant herd immunity response, we need to have seven or eight times as many doses in people as currently are. 
And that is a big ask. It's a big ask when we think about the infrastructure that needs to be out there. And it's a big ask when you think about how many actual doses we have coming in versus how many we need for Ontario and Canada as a whole. Uh, let's move, uh, Dr. Hill, to uh, speaking with Dr. Samantha Hill, president of the Ontario Medical Association. Just a fascinating report that you released about disinformation. Tell me the uh, age group that you have identified as uh, the one most involved in spreading misinformation and, and why you think that might be. So you're absolutely right. It is a fascinating report and certainly not anything I would have predicted. And so what we found was that 6%, which is a very large number, actually, of Ontarians are actively propagating misinformation. And that the age group most involved in those discussions is actually the 55 to 64-year-olds. Now, that was shocking for me because previously when we had looked at this information, it was a much younger cohort. It's also really distressing for everyone because that age group, that 55 to 64, is probably amongst the highest risk right now. With the variants attacking younger people and that cohort not being fully vaccinated um, or even starting to be vaccinated for the most part in most zones, they are at extremely high risk. Misinformation leads to excess death. Misinformation leads to people making decisions they wouldn't otherwise make. And so... The Ontario Medical Association is obviously very concerned about the misinformation, very concerned about where we're hearing it and who we're hearing say it, and is very interested in trying to set the record straight and make sure that there is as much clear, accessible and digestible information out there as people want so they don't have to go looking at alternate sources. What what I found interesting also, as you identified 5564 being the most active in misinformation, was um, that they weren't maliciously on passing this information. They, they seem to truly believe it. What is it about that age cohort, do you think, that makes them susceptible to misinformation? Absolutely. So I don't think any anyone or very few people are malicious in their intent when they pass on misinformation. I think what happens is that there's a bit of a void of information and people hear something that resonates and they believe it to be true and they continue to say it. Um, it's important to remind people that not all sources are equally responsible or reliable and that for science information, you're best to go to a science-based source. So your local public health site or the OMA site or your own doctor, if you're lucky enough to be one of the Ontarians that has one. But I think what we're seeing a lot of is people being afraid and being angry. They're frustrated. They're at their wit's end. It's been a really long year. We're coming into another wave, which, as you said, many people feel like they saw coming and wish different actions had been taken to avoid. And so in that context, we're seeing, and I think you've heard this as well, that men and women are actually responding differently with men Hmm. um, predominantly being critical of the rollout and looking for conspiracy theories in there that the government is deliberately making choices to remove control or things like that. Whereas women seem to be focusing more on health care and are looking for alternative medicines or are worried about the dangers associated with the vaccine. So it's a really interesting study that empowers us, I think, to have more targeted discussions to help resolve a lot of these, I'm going to call them misunderstandings for now. Right now, forgive me because I didn't get all the way through the report. Did you identify platforms? Did you like? Is it Facebook where the misinformation is the most? Um, so the the ASI uh, 
artificial intelligence program works mostly off of Twitter, as I understand it. Aaron Kelly is the contact person for ASI. Um, So most of that is from Twitter. But where the information is coming from, and I I prefer not to say the sites out loud because then it gives them extra traffic. Sure. Of course. 25% of it was from one specific site that comes out of Britain. And that's even more interesting because if you're looking for information about COVID in Kingston, I don't know why you'd be looking at a British site to get that information. It's it's very clear to me that that has to be people not knowing where to look for the right information. Okay, uh, we'll sum it up this way, uh, Dr. Hill. Where do you go for the right information for those listening right now? Absolutely. So first and foremost, I think this is a great chat. So the first things that you need to remember are to wear your mask, stay away from other people, wash your hands and get the first vaccine that's available to you. That's from the president of the Ontario Medical Association. You can take that to the bank. The second thing is that you can go and look at your local public health unit. Each public health unit has a website. So Kingston, Toronto, it doesn't matter where you are, your public health unit will have a website with local, credible, vetted information by doctors and scientists. If you want more information beyond that, you can go to the OMA website. And if you want more information beyond that, I encourage you to call your doctor and ask questions about your personal care and your personal risks associated with COVID-19. Dr. Hill, thank you so very much. I really appreciate you being on. Please take care. You're very welcome. Stay safe. That is Dr. Samantha Hill, who is the president of the, of the Ontario Medical Association. i got to take a quick break. I'm going to open up the phone lines when I come back because... I think something that really stuck out to me from the interview you just heard is Dr. Hill talking about people being angry. And gosh, I feel it myself. I do. You know, and I talk a lot on this radio program. It's such a privilege to be here and to be able to have this platform. I talk about the personal responsibility I have to not spread, well, obviously, disinformation or misinformation, but also not to spread anger. <laughs> I think I'm probably guilty today. I don't think I'm up to my own standards. 